How do you quit backsliding? The answer is right around the corner. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sleep if we've not experienced it ourselves at one time or another surely we've observed it someone becomes a christian and is on fire for the lord and then after some time they start to backslide they're no longer reading the bible praying and growing as they once did and now starting to do things that the unbelieving world is caught up in if that's you today we want to show you how to get back on track so keep it right here for Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor reveals how to quit backsliding. Would you take your Bibles and open them to two places, the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 2. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled, How Do I Quit Backsliding? How do I quit backsliding? It could have easily been titled, How Do I Come Back? from a time of backsliding, but how do I quit backsliding? Because if we've learned anything in the last few studies, it's the truth that anyone, anywhere can backslide. You can backslide, I can backslide, marriages can backslide, churches can backslide. We read in the scriptures that apostles can backslide, kings can backslide, pastors, leaders, anyone, anywhere, can choose to turn away from the love of God. It doesn't happen overnight. But through small, slow, subtle decisions that the truth and the essence is of not doing what you're hearing. That's what we learn right here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. We need to do what we hear. And when we stop doing what we're hearing, the drifting away begins. Some listening right now might be in the middle of backsliding. So miserable and frustrated. Because we learned, didn't we, that backsliding equals misery. And it's not getting you to the place where you thought it would get you. And it's not accomplishing any type of peace or hope or strength in your life. Maybe you're in the middle of backsliding and you want to come back. Today, I want to help you come back to your loving Heavenly Father. Today, we want to learn how to quit backsliding, what that looks like in our lives. Because one thing is for sure, Jesus is very interested in the affairs of his church and what's going on in the body of Christ on the earth today. But remember this, the church is not a building the church is not this building. This building is simply concrete and drywall, and it's empty most of the week. This room right here is empty most of the week. It's dark, it's cooler, and, and it's, it's not alive like it is when you show up. Because the Bible teaches that buildings aren't churches, but you're the church, and I'm the church. So that this building comes alive when the church shows up. 
Now, I'm not opposed to the language. I mean, sure, some of you probably got up this morning and say, okay, it's time to go to church. I'm not opposed to the language because I think God understands what we mean. But it's important that we understand that you're the church and that by you and me being the church, Jesus is very interested in your life. He's very interested in how you live your life. He's very interested in what direction your life takes. He doesn't want you just responding in cold religion, going through the motions of things you might have been taught, ritualistically coming to God on a regular basis, but rather he wants us to cultivate our relationship with him. Like any relationships, time and testing, devotion and commitment. His heart truly is revealed to us in John chapter 15 where he wants that abiding relationship. He in us and I and we in him. And so when things aren't right in our lives, in the life of our church, in the life of our church family collectively, we can expect Jesus to set things straight, which is what he does in Revelation. At the end of Revelation, or really in the beginning of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, Jesus writes seven small notes to seven different churches geographically. Today we might call it a post-it note or a text message, but short and powerful messages that he has for the churches in these geographical locations. And for some of you, I want to remind you of this note to the church in Ephesus, but for many, you're going to hear it for the first time. There was a church in the city of Ephesus that was planted, for homework you can read, Acts chapter 18, 19, and 20. It was planted by Paul the Apostle on one of his missionary journeys. He came to a city, preached the gospel, lives were radically transformed, and he stuck around there for a few years to pour his life into them. And a church was birthed. And as they continued on with life, man, they were a great church. That they were doing great things. The gospel was sounding forth from this little church in Ephesus, which, by the way, you can visit Ephesus today. The ruins of Ephesus are still there in Turkey, and you can visit that today. Visit that today. But what you won't see is a strong, vibrant church there, unfortunately. Because you got a church that started out so strong. Then you come into the New Testament, a little bit farther from the book of Acts, to the book of Ephesians which was a longer letter written by Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to this strong church that was making huge inroads. It says that they were enriched in every spiritual gift. Not only that, they were instructed on spiritual warfare. That's the book, Ephesians, where we learn how to put on the spiritual armor in our lives the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, that our feet might be shod with the shoes of the gospel of peace, that we'd have the belt of truth, that we would use prayer and the word as the weapons in the spiritual realm. Why? Because every believer, every church that makes progress is going to face spiritual warfare. And the church in Ephesus was so powerful, making such great inroads that they needed to be reminded very specifically, make sure you guys know you're in a spiritual war, that it's a battle for the souls of men and women, that it's a battle to win a city for Christ and to make a dent in our community, to be the light and the salt of the earth. And now in Revelation chapter 2, about 60 years later, there's trouble in the church in Ephesus. Pick up with me now in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Revelation. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, 
These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now let's pause there for a moment because if we were to receive a note from Jesus with these introductory remarks, we would be encouraged because he sees so much good in the church. They're making progress still. There are many good works coming from them. Notice they're even discerning. They're able to tell good from wrong, good from bad evil from good. They're able to take righteousness and say that is something that's important and to dismiss evil, which I find is lacking sometimes in the lives of so many believers, unwilling to take a stand for righteousness. I wonder why. I wonder why it is today that you're unwilling to stand up for what is right and what is good and what is true, because that's the heart of God. In his nature, you know, God is gracious and he's merciful, and he's compassionate, and he's filled with love. The Bible actually says that God is love, but did you know that love also takes a stand for what is right? And God, he, he from the character and nature of God comes judgment, holiness, righteousness. It's all part of the package. Well, here they are. They're taking a stand for what is right. A lot of good works. It says in verse 2 that they not only have works, but they have labor. And again, he repeats it in verse 3, have labored. If you'd like to write in your Bibles, you can circle the word labor, and right next to it, they have worked to the point of exhaustion. They're tired. They, They are serving God to a point where there is exhaustion, and there's, they're tired because anybody that has ever sought to serve Jesus Christ understands that it gets tiring sometimes. You get weary even so much so that the Bible would say, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap, if what? You don't lose heart. But any true servant of God knows, man, it's easy to lose heart, and it's easy to be wearied. Well, not only that, but notice they have patience, it says in verse 2. And again in verse 3, they have persevered and have patience. They've been able to press on, That word persevere literally means to bear up under the weight of a load so that as things get heavier and as things get harder and as the culture gets darker, they've steadied on. And what an important key for us to make progress in our spiritual lives, but to press on. As you grow and mature, as you step out in faith, as you make the decision to serve Jesus here or share the gospel there or sacrifice in an area of life unto the Lord, you're going to have to learn how to persevere. Or we might say it this way, you're going to have to learn how not to quit, but to keep going, to take the next step, to know that what you're doing is vital and important to the heart of God. That's the church of Ephesus. So far... So good. I mean, this is the kind of letter that we want to receive. So far, so good. And then there's verse 4. A word you never really want to hear out of the mouth of Jesus. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left 
your first love. I want you to consider something right now. Because we've learned in our last study that when Jesus declares the gospel message and he preaches a message of repentance, he says, you're either for me or against me. So by the posture and position of your life, you can actually position your life against Jesus Christ. And how do you do that? By not being with him, not being for him. But this is a little different. This isn't the church of Ephesus against Jesus. No, rather, it's Jesus against the church. He says, I have this against you. This is not good. This is not healthy. This is not strong. You you are making a grave error here. It's not going to end well, and I'm against this in your life. And you say, what is that? Well, in all their activity, they had left their first love. Those of you that have left your first love, Jesus has it against you. It is not okay with your Savior. Now, remember, Jesus is speaking to believers. It's believers that backslide. Unbelievers apostatize. Believers backslide. Believers live a life uh, that, that is often described as a prodigal life, where you walk away, you turn away from God temporarily. If you're a, a true believer, you'll be back. But, but as you walk away, one of the things that you choose to do is leave your first love. And the emphasis in the original language here is actually on the word first. It speaks of a priority. Backsliding is always an inside job. It's a matter of your heart. That's why today, seeing you as I do, seeing you eye to eye, I have no idea if you're backsliding. And some of you go, wait a minute, Ed, I'm in church. You know, how, how can you call, even consider me a backslider? I'm in church. Well, Jesus is writing to a church right now telling them that they left their first love. Because like, here's what happens. It is far too easy to pretend to be a Christian than it is to be a Christian. It's far too easy to put up a front to try to impress people around us and try to be the perfect Christian or try to put on some kind of airs about us. Some, like, look at us and look at it. It's too easy. It's, it's the easier way to pretend that you're doing okay than it is just to submit your life to Jesus Christ. And yes, you can be in a position where you've left your first love and still do a work for God. You can be in a position where you've left your first love and still labor. You can be in a position where you've left your first love and even persevere and even be able to tell good from evil. But understand, if you've left your first love, Jesus has it against you. It's not a good place to be. We learn in Hebrews, it speaks of drifting away. And we've learned in other places, it also can be referred to as backsliding. And yes, I I see, I don't have any idea if you're backsliding because it's a heart issue. It's not where you are. Now I have to say, you being in the the place of receiving Bible study today, that's a good thing. Now I know some of you are here because your mom made you. Good job, mom. Make them come to church every week. It's a good thing to be in the, under the teaching of God's Word. It's a good thing to be with other saints because that becomes a place where God can really speak to you and He can get you back on track or for the very first time lead you to the place where you repent of your sins and you submit your life to the God who created you. It's a good thing that you're here, 
But don't confuse being in a building with other Christians as being, you're, everything's fine because I did my Christian duty today. You know, I found that to be a big trap. I found that to be a big trap in those that have walked away from their first love, and that is by defining their lives by what good Christians do. Well, you know, I do this because that's what a good Christian does, and I do this because I'm a Christian. Instead of having your life being led by the Holy Spirit. Now understand me here. The idea of being a good follower of Jesus Christ is one that who? Denies himself, takes up his cross, and follows Jesus. And if you define your life with good Christians, everybody has an attitude of what good Christians, everyone has an opinion of good Christians, but what does God want you to do? How does he want you to live your life? How often do you come to the Word of God to get direction from the God of the Word? How often are you allowing God to speak directly to your life, that you make decisions based on what the Word of God says, not the opinion of man, not what a good Christian might do, not what a Christian in Western culture would do, but what does God want you to do? And how does he want you to live your life? When's the last time you even asked him when you had a decision to be made, when there was trouble with the kids, when you had the issue at work, when there's conflict with another person, believer or unbeliever, when's the last time you just said, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? What is your heart on the matter? What's going to most reflect your character and nature in this situation? How do you want to use me? And how do you want to use this situation in order to change me that I might be more like Jesus Christ in my life? Oh, there you are, church. Lots of works and labor you can't bear those that are evil. You test those that say they're apostles. You've bared up under the weight and the pressure. You have patience. You've been laboring for my namesake, and you haven't become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. I want you to notice that in verse 4 that they left their first love. They didn't lose it. They left it. Slowly but surely, day by day, week by week, you find yourself slipping away from your first love. It wasn't their love for each other. It wasn't even love for family. It was their love for Jesus Christ that began to suffer. And over a period of time, that simple love, that pure devotion eroded and became cold, stale, and lifeless. Sure, they were full of all the emotions, all the motions, that, but they weren't connected to Jesus. Yeah, they, they did all the right things, if you will. They worked really hard. And yet Jesus had this against him, and it's so common that it's sad. That we have, to, we have to find ourselves in a place of being active and yet not connected to Jesus through the actions. Too many are leaving their first love. You know, what is their first love? How would you define first love? I think it's best to, to go back to the time as a new believer or a newer believer where everything was fresh and new and you didn't really know anything. Maybe back to the days where you couldn't find a book of the Bible. Back to the days when you, when you heard a Bible study, you actually did it that same day. Where you just sensed that God was saying, I want to touch this in your life, and I want this over here. And, this was, and you began to have a growing, abiding relationship with God. You know, I couldn't help but think of my own life as I began to think back on the new believer time in my life and how important it was to me to whatever the Bible said I wanted it to be done in my life. 
I wanted to be the kind of husband that God wanted me to be. I wanted to be the kind of dad that God wanted me. I wanted to be a son and a better. I wanted every facet of my life to undergo radical spiritual surgery so that I would be the person that would walk in unity with God. So I'd find myself at every Bible study that was possible. Back in the day, we would devour Bible studies on something called cassette tapes. You remember those? Cassette tapes. And we'd even have to take it out and flip it over so we could hear the other side. And I was so hungry to learn, what does God say? Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, that's amazing. And I had this, this desire and zeal. Remember, it was to the church, another church right here in Revelation, the church of Laodicea, that Jesus said something like this. I wish that you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. So I'll spit you out of my mouth. Imagine having not only Jesus against you, but to expel you violently in this relationship that you once had. Today on Abounding Grace, we've been in Hebrews as Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through this marvelous book. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to take in a steady dose of God's Word is through the app. It's free. Just search for Calvary Aurora. And we're also on Apple Podcasts. Well, Pastor Ed, do you have some thoughts on what might help us stay in a good place with God in a pandemic? Wow, Larry, that's good. I, I, yes, yes, yes. I, I think that this is the habit and the pattern that we need to develop in good times and bad and easy times and hard, right? Number one, read your Bible every day. Number two, pray every day. Number three, be in regular fellowship with other believers. That's important. I'll explain that in a second. And then take communion together. The Bible is clear in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the strength of the early church under great duress and difficulty were those four things. They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, the breaking of bread, and a prayer. And we, we hear that over and over and over and over and over again, at least here at Calvary, and it becomes regular and routine, but that is the key. And you go, wait a minute, Ed, what about the pandemic and the distancing well, we have allowed the, some of the environment that we're in, the, uh, the political things that have been pressed upon us, the way that government has overreached in many ways, we've allowed that to change. God never gave us permission not to fellowship. He never gave us permission not to, I mean, he never commanded it. He never told us to hide. He never told us to never come out of the house. The scriptures are true in any situation. We may need to adapt it so that maybe in the early days of this pandemic, uh, we pull back a lot just to wait to see what it was. But now that we see, there are a lot of creative ways. I mean, I, I just told the church recently, and, and I said it in all love. I'm not being sarcastic or anything. I said it in perfect love. I said, if, if you're the kind of person that's going to work, you're going shopping, you're walking out the front door and working in the garden, you can go to church. And so come on back. I invite everybody back. Like we need interaction. We are social people and we need interaction. God made us for interaction. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's foolish to isolate ourselves in the Proverbs. Um, but while we're doing this, we need to be led by the spirit. We don't need to feel like we're guilted or like I have to do something because some of the fear is real, but let that, let's lay that fear before the Lord. Let's allow him to comfort us and encourage us. And let's get back into church. Let's get back into small groups. Let's get back to 
uh, taking someone out for coffee. And I know you guys in California you go, well, you can't sit down. Well, you don't need to sit down in a coffee shop. Sit down in a park. Uh, recently, when we were in California, not just a week or two ago, no, a week ago, uh, we we went to a, a famous taco shop there in San Diego. We ordered. We couldn't sit there. Uh, so we took it right down the street to Balboa Park. And we got a blanket out of our car, and I sat down with my wife and daughter. We had a little picnic. We, we have that we're not a picnic people. Uh, but be creative. Stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. Get back together, and let's be the church. Thanks for that, Pastor Ed. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you make a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, we'll send you a copy of The Calvary Road by missionary and evangelist Roy Hessian. In it, he describes the pathway to genuine revival. And you'll read both the prerequisites and consequences of God at work in the heart of a hungry seeker. We appreciate the generosity of our listeners. It helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE. And don't forget to request The Calvary Road. That's 877-30-GRACE. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of Hebrews. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.